All right, welcome back to the Greatness Blueprint. Today we have a special guest, first guest on the show. We're diving into a story about passion, perseverance, world record breaking fish, and I'm joined by my good friend and former college football teammate Rob Mackesy. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, brother. Excited. Now, for those of you that don't know, Rob and I go way back. We played football together at Idaho State and Pocatello. But today, we're not talking about football much. We're here to talk about something Rob is, is very passionate about, and that's fishing. And not just any fishing, but chasing some of the biggest fish you've ever seen. Rob is a world record-breaking fisherman and has done so several times. But before we dive into that, Rob, tell us a little bit about your journey from Wisconsin out to Idaho. What brought you out, and how did that that change you? Yeah, man. Great question. So... Uh, right off the bat, I graduated high school uh, in the Madison area in Wisconsin and ended up taking a year off to take care of some family stuff and and that uh, that kind of fun stuff. So I uh, stuck around for a year, didn't play football or anything like that, and just had that itch, man. My dad mm-hmm. saw me kind of Googling some schools and that kind of thing, and he's like, you want to play football, huh? And uh, I did. You know, I missed it a lot. Yeah. And so he really encouraged me, and my mom at the time really encouraged me, and they wanted me to go follow my dreams. So, um, did that and looked at some schools and sent out tape the old fashioned way. You know, you print them off on those DVDs and uh, upload your highlights and all that fun stuff. And, uh, one school hit me back up and it was a junior college in Minnesota. Um, played there for two seasons. Technically was there for a year and a half, uh, a fall, spring, last fall. And then, um, I hired a recruiter and it was, Super wild how this actually happened, but uh, my D-line coach gets fired, right? Mm -hmm. And he always liked me, and I always liked him, and we had a good relationship. And uh, so we're going to throw him a little party, you know, kind of a little little going away party. So um, we got our hands on the only thing that we could possibly get at the time, which was a UV cake. And uh, (laughs) I remember sitting around in this circle in the living room, and we were just passing this this little bottle around, and... um, I got to talking with one of my teammates and he's like, yeah, I hired this recruiter for 500 bucks and uh, he got me a full ride to Wyoming. And I'm like, all right, well, that seems like a fair deal. Mm-hmm. And so he gave me his contact information and I started working with him and he put me together a little highlight film uh, after my second year at, at RCTC. And uh, yeah, Idaho State bit and Coach Bailey was the one that opened uh, opened the email and everything. And He's really the foot in the door that I had. And then he showed it to Coach Kramer and it kind of turned from there. So that's what got me out to Idaho. Um, it was kind of a crazy little happenstance story. Dude, but, that's amazing. Uh, I can't bucks. believe, I didn't know a recruiter like that was a thing where you coming out of high school or, or JC, they they take it all for you. Is that is that legit? That's a real thing? It, it was legit <laughs> enough. You know, I, it looked okay on YouTube and yeah. uh he fired it off. I think he just fired it off to so many schools that, you know, odds are that one school is going to be in need of, uh, of a player in that position. And Coach Bailey literally told me, he said, you know, I never open those emails. And uh, he's like, I just happened to open this one. And uh, thank God he did. Sometimes it just goes like that, huh? Did you play defensive line in at JC as well? I did, yeah. Yep, both seasons played, uh, played the end. And how was that sitting out a year before you came back to play again? Was it tough to get kind of back into conditioning shape or did you stay in shape throughout that year? Um, I actually was in better shape. Yeah, I played uh, played high school ball at around 240 and I played offensive line and defensive line. But um, the way our school was, you know, positioned, it, it was big enough that we actually had players that just played one way mm-hmm. and they didn't want us to go both ways, especially into the playoffs. So. Um, I just played O-line my senior year and all the interest that I had um, from playing sophomore and junior year on varsity just kind of fell off uh, Mm -hmm. because it was all from D-line footage. And uh, and so my interest had kind of gone down and I really didn't, you know, I didn't understand the process anyways on what it took to get recruited and what it took to get a scholarship. So I'd get uh, I'd get mail and all that kind of stuff from schools. But just didn't know what to do. I thought, you know, hey, I'm getting mail. I'm under their radar. They know mm-hmm. me. They'll mm-hmm. probably continue the relationship themselves. It didn't go that way. Um, so kind of the combination of me not following up, but also um, switching positions my senior year, I kind of lost that interest. And um, 
going into the JC, you know, route locally when I stayed in Madison and didn't play for a year. Um, it was tough, man. I lost, lost a lot of weight. And my goal at that point was get rid of all that extra football weight. You don't do anything anymore. So you might as well be skinnier. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I fluctuated anywhere from like 185 to 205 wow. pounds around wow. there. Um, but you'd never guessed I played football. That's insane. And then you mm-hmm. came back to, back out to Idaho state. I, you had put on some weight since then. So I assume, you know, you get to JC and you're like, man, I gotta, I gotta reframe my body. And so you started just getting after it again. Yeah. Yep. hundred yeah. percent. And when, when I had gotten the interest to go to go to Rochester, um, I was already working out a lot, but it was just, you know, starting to pack on the pounds. You got to eat a lot. You got to lift hard, lift heavy. Um, I was working on a lot more strength training and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So f- my freshman year there um, in Rochester, technically my second year of college, but um, first year in Rochester, I think I was only maybe 220 pounds and still kind of on that rise to try to gain more weight and get back to playing shape. So I was, I was a lot faster than I normally am, mm-hmm. um, but a lot smaller also. So just continued to, you know, pack on good pounds over the years. And then um, when I got out to Idaho, I actually, I was going to commit somewhere else and they were going to have me play D line. And so I, I really needed to gain weight quick to, to kind of get up to the level they wanted me to be at by the time that I transferred. And when that kind of fell through, um, then I was going to commit to Idaho State. They wanted me to play outside linebacker at you know 240 again. And I'm like, sure. oh, man, I'm 265 now because <laughs> I was going to go play DN. Sure. And, uh, you know, I had, to, I had to get back into shape when I got out to Idaho. Sure. So you take that leap of faith. You, you bet on yourself, pay, pay the recruiter 500 bucks. You get out to Idaho. Tell us about that experience coming from Wisconsin to Idaho, what you learned about yourself, relationships you build, and kind of how that how that paved the way for you. Yeah. You know, anytime you move uh, across the country in the winter, it's you're bound to have some type of scary story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's pretty lonely. Um, you're used to being around teammates and, and all that kind of stuff. For two years, it, you, you know, you grow with the same group of guys, and all of a sudden – a handful of guys get selected to, to continue playing. And a lot of guys, you know, don't. And, uh, being one of those guys that gets selected to play, it's a great privilege and it's awesome But you get on the road and you kind of start to, you know, the loneliness kicks in a little bit sure. and, uh, you're, you're going to an area that you really don't know anybody. Mm-hmm. And so of course I drove into a terrible storm through the mountains and, uh, didn't realize how far gas stations are, uh, distance wise away from each other. Um, so, you know, at one point I got very, very close to running out of gas during a huge storm through the mountains. Thank God there was a small gas station in one of the little mountain towns in Wyoming, but yeah, it, uh, it was a, it was a tough transition at first. I, you know, I really did have some doubts after I got there and, um, you know, you feel low sometimes and you feel really good sometimes, but, uh. Yeah, meeting the meeting the teammates was huge, and you know I, I fell into a good group of guys eventually that you know I stuck with throughout the entire process, and then I ended up just loving it out there and didn't want to leave. Um, yeah. But having the guys out there and and building those memories and being on the field with them and everything, you know, you ride and die with them. Um, you know, they turn into your brothers, so you feel like you have family even when you don't. Absolutely, that camaraderie in the in the locker room is is imperative. But it is hard to build, right? If you're coming in and the team that's there, they've been together for years and you're coming in as an outsider. You mentioned being a little bit down in the early times when you came over. What what did you do to to fight through that? Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of have to just be a little bit of a chameleon. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you find your friend of your group of friends over time and everything. But, you know, when you're put into a position where, you know, Coach Kramer says, Hey, this guy, uh, this guy, new JC guy from Minnesota, he needs a roommate. Like who, who has availability? You kind of get put into random situations that you might not pick if you were, you know, free to make that decision or hindsight 2020, if you could pick it off the get go, it'd be great, but uh, it doesn't work like that. Um, so yeah, during, during the initial phases of it, you know, you, you kind of mesh with certain people and you bounce around and see who you really get along with and everything. But 
Um, I do remember one of the boosters at the time, Don Nevis, um, he was kind of like my, you know, guiding light uh, per se. Like if ever it was, you know, a tough time for me, I'd shoot him a text and just say, hey man, like kind of having a tough time adjusting out here. Uh, do you have any recommendations, anything I can do to like get involved in anything? And, and he was super helpful. So Don Nevis, uh, um, he was a big help for me. Yeah, he's always been such a huge player for Idaho State football. It's it's amazing what he's done over the years. So it's cool to yeah. hear that he had an impact on you too. He did, yeah. Great guy. One thing that's always struck me about you is his your passion for fishing and, and kind of segueing from coming out to Idaho. Obviously, Wisconsin has a certain type of fishing. Idaho is maybe a little bit different. Was that something that you were able to pick up? Obviously, you came over in the winter, but as it started to, to progress into spring, getting back into some fishing and finding some similarities to where you came from to kind of anchor yourself and feel more like home? Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. So I grew up, you know, in a family that just loved fishing. Uh, my grandpa was a huge fisherman. Um, my dad loved to fish. You know, my, both of my brothers enjoyed fishing and I loved fishing. Mm -hmm. um, all throughout high school and everything, but it was almost like two passions and they were completely split. You know, one part of me loved fishing and really enjoyed it and made me happy all the time. Another one was I'm chasing my dreams with football and I absolutely obsess over football and want to be the best I can. Mm -hmm. um, so my passion for fishing takes the back burner. My passion for football takes over it all the way from, from high school through Idaho State. Um, and I really don't fish much. You know, all the downtime, you're recovering, you're, you know, eating food, trying to hit weight, you're, you know, hanging out with your buddies. It really didn't fish much. Um, but uh, the, the open weekend of fishing in Idaho uh, went out with Cody Sorensen, Taylor Reagan, Travis Namahala, uh, Mark Andrews went out with those guys for just a little fun weekend, free, you know, free license for the weekend of fishing. And just absolutely loved it. Didn't realize what was out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, and after that, I bought a license the next day. And, you know, I did fish a little bit after that. But, uh, you know, I really didn't start uh, buckling down on fishing until after I was done playing. And I had a lot of a lot more free time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's pretty interesting you say that because I think when I came into college, I always had this vision of, of playing football and potentially going pro. And I think that's what we all aspire to. Was, was that one of the visions you had too, of, you know, maybe going pro in the NFL and, and playing some time there. And was that the, the kind of guiding light for you at the end of the tunnel? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, once you get in that role and you, you kind of accept your role of where you're at, um, you know, you kind of see the writing on the wall. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I was six, two, 260 pounds, pretty slow, you know, you, you're great for, uh, for what you can be, but there is a, there is a ceiling on, you know, where you can go. And, uh, over time for me, at least, you know, I kind of saw that writing on the wall and understood, you know, this is my ride and I'm, I'm going to ride it out for sure. And, uh, going to soak up every, every second of the process, but there's going to be a time where I'm not playing anymore and I'm okay with that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, for me, you know, that, that probably came between junior and senior year and I just wrote it out as long as I could and was juiced that I did it and absolutely loved every second of it. Um, was that transition, yeah. was that transition difficult for you? Uh, when you first realized like, oh yeah, maybe, maybe this isn't long-term for me. Was it hard to figure out what's, what's next for Rob? Is it, is it fishing? Is it doing something else? Finding that next goal to, to strive for? You know, not really. It wasn't super difficult for me. And uh, I've always prided myself a little bit on the fact that, you know, I'm not, I wasn't just a football player. Mm. Um, I did plenty of other things in my life that I love to do. And football was just, you know, another one of those things. And so when I would go to class, I would make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm flying under the radar. I don't even want my professors to know that I play football and uh, and that kind of thing. So it was always kind of a you know, secondary role for, for who I was. And I'd, I'd rather be known as Rob than, you know, the guy on the football team. And, uh, so for me, that transition wasn't super difficult. It was more of a, you know, identity thing of, you know, who am I going to be after I'm done playing football? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what do I want to get into? Yeah. And, and that part is, you know, that part is tricky. And I think a lot of people kind of struggle with that identity crisis of, man, I've been the guy for so long. Yeah. Now what? I certainly felt that too. Coming out of college, you have such a tight knit group of guys and you're all in this, in our case, a college town, right? Where there's not much else to do other than hang out with your bros. Right. And so you all disperse across the country and, and now you're doing your own thing, starting your careers. In some cases, people are still in school. In some cases, you're right. It's an identity crisis. You're still trying to figure out who you are after football. Life after football is, is just different, right? You don't have that camaraderie when you wake up and, and go to the gym. It's just you. And so you're trying right. to figure out how do you navigate that new world? So tell us a little bit about that transition for you after you finished Idaho State. You're still living in Idaho. I think you went and got your master's. Tell us a little bit about that that process for you. Yeah, it's it's kind of a crazy little process because I, you know, I grew up here in Wisconsin. I go to Minnesota. I go out west to Idaho. I actually moved back to Wisconsin in 2015, uh, shortly after graduating. Mm-hmm. And I had set up, I got my uh, bachelor's in exercise science. And I had a... Uh, an internship set up with, um, you know, a multi-sport facility uh, in the Madison area that was um, run by one of the old strength coaches for the Wisconsin Badgers. Pretty well-known guy. Worked with Joe Thomas, Russell Wilson, all those guys. And uh, yeah, so I had a great time doing that, kind of get to the end of the internship. And uh, I get a pretty low ball offer, I would say, uh, to come work out there. And it cost me more gas money than I would even make in a week type thing. Jeez. And, uh, and I said, Oh, wow. Like I, I really need to look into something else. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up working at a local gym, uh, here in cottage Grove and did that for about 15 months or so. And kind of the same thing, just saw the writing on the wall. I don't, I don't want to do this long term, mm-hmm. and it's okay for now, but I need to have another, you know, another thing in the back pocket. I need to be working towards something. Yeah. And, uh, so during that time of working at that gym, I, you know, I was applying for uh, grad school and I was doing the MBA study materials and um, preparing for the GMAT and, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. And uh, I'd go to Starbucks on Sundays and just sure. be studying because I could at least get unlimited coffee. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I just kind of owned that grind and in the process of applying for schools, I, I applied for a lot back out West cause I just loved it so much. So mm-hmm. Montana, Montana state, Boise state, Idaho state. And, uh, and yeah, so I, I just sent out a bunch of applications and, um, and that's what eventually led me back out West in 2016. Um, okay. that's what got me back out there. Was it hard going from a student to not a student to being a student again? That's one thing I've always thought about is, man, I finished school. Like, I don't, I don't think I could go back. <laughs> you know, you'd be surprised. Yeah. Uh, you're pretty, you're pretty hardwired on uh, what it takes to be successful in school. And, uh, I always say this, my bachelor's was 10 times harder than my MBA. Wow. It, I, I guess I, maybe I'm just wired differently for business over science, but, um, it's like speaking a different language for me, that, that science, the chemistry, the bio and physics and all that stuff. I, I like business uh, application a little bit more, a little bit more straightforward. So um, it wasn't super difficult. I was really motivated to to get the MBA. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, you know, if you're motivated to do something, you put your head to it and you just do it. Yeah. And it's also my, it was my choice. You know, you fork out a lot of money at this point. Um, to go back to school, you're not going to allow yourself to fail. Absolutely. So you, you come back out West in 2016. And to me, that's, that's kind of when we started to see a little bit more fishing from Rob. It seemed like you were spending some time maybe on the side of school or kind of outside of work. Tell us a little bit about how you started to get into some of the, I don't know, maybe more prize fishing out in Idaho. Yeah. Good question, man. Uh, so at that point, you know, I moved back out west. I'm back in Pocatello, where Idaho State is, which is great. I love that area, and uh, I just got a full time job, and I'm enrolled in full time credits. And I'm like, holy cow, this is a lot. And so I, I really leaned back on, you know, what I'm passionate about, and I needed to find some joy outside of uh, outside of just buckling down and grinding. 
And although time is super limited, um, you know, you just set aside time and you just, you make that time that you need to fill up your cup. And that's what I would do. You know, typically on the weekends, I would just allow myself to have some fun and do whatever it was that filled up my cup, whether it's coffee and cribbage or, uh, or if it's <laughs> going out fishing. And um, that's where the seed was planted. And, and then it was just consistently, this is all I want to do. Yeah. You know, this is all I, this is the only way I want to spend my downtime is chasing, chasing fish and naturally chasing big fish is what made sure. me really happy. Yeah. Yeah. I think you have some, uh, some world records in, at least in Idaho. I'm sure you have some in Wisconsin as well. Talk us through some of the world records you were able to achieve over those years fishing in Idaho. Yeah. I, I was fortunate when I worked at Idaho central, the credit union out in, uh, in Idaho, um, I had a decent amount of downtime kind of in between my responsibilities there. And there are certain times in the year that are just a little bit slower. And I was fortunate enough to, to be sitting next to Taylor Reagan on one side, but also uh, my buddy, Cody Spencer, who was a big Idaho fisherman. And, you know, he just was obsessed and, uh, and we would just be firing off stuff left and right. He'd be like, dude, did you check out this video? I'd be like, no way. What is that? And I'd be like, check out this video, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, we eventually like knew so much about the fish that were out West and uh, all the trips that we could make and all this fun stuff about it. And that energy just kind of felt like the college football days. You know, you got your boys, you're talking about accomplishing super cool things and you get a little bit obsessed with it. And um, we came across a video for Kokanee Salmon and we're like, man, those are cool. And, uh, you know, you, you pop online, you do a little research and, uh, all it came down to is identifying an opportunity. And for me, that was, I want to go catch this. I know where these are. I know how big they get. I know what the current records are and I think we could smash them. And, uh, and that's exactly what we did. <laughs> Cody went up, uh, you know, one weekend he went out, beat the state record I went up another weekend, go out, beat his state record. There you go. I go out another trip. I'm like, I want the world record this time. So I find a fish. I'm casting at it for like four hours. And uh, eventually that thing bit and it was big and it beat the world record and, you know, kind of solidified it. And uh, it just, it honestly just went from there. Um, Call it a slippery slope, I guess. But, uh, you know, it just kind of takes you over a little bit and you keep thinking, well, if we could do it with that fish, you know, what, what other fish can we do? Yeah. So that's incredible. Talk me through your mentality as you're kind of chasing these fish, right? Cause fishing, while well, you have to show up and find the fish, that's the first step. There's also the process of actually landing the fish, finding the right bait, finding the right fly if you're fly fishing. Is that something that you've continued to hone over the years and, and walk us through that process? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, so you, you know, you, you do a ton of research yourself online is the biggest tool that we have these days. You can go on YouTube, you can just Google stuff. You can, you know, do whatever type of research that you possibly want before you enter a body of water to understand, you know, most, mostly what you're going to be looking at. And, um, when you're into that kind of thing, you know, you do everything you possibly can to make sure that you're not going to fail. And so for me, it was, you know, going down to the fly shop working with the guy that, you know, that runs the place and said, Hey, I'm going to need this fly, this fly, this fly, this fly, this fly, and this fly. And if those don't work, I might be coming back to get this and this fly. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you make sure that you have enough tippet and line and the measuring device and, you know, a tripod and a camera in case you do catch it. And the preparation is, is really everything and doing it, going out and catching the fish is one thing, but you have to be equally prepared outside of catching that fish to make sure that in that moment when it actually does happen, you don't drop the ball on any of the other hundred things that can go wrong when doing it. Right. And I love that part. I'm super organized and, uh, and I kind of pride myself in making sure that I always have my back and I'm going to put myself in that situation. I want to be prepared. And, uh, I think that's probably the part that I've ex- excelled in the most is having that preparation part and being organized with it. So when that moment comes, I'm going to knock it out of the park. Right. You've built that proof, that that internal belief in yourself that 
you're going to get into that spotlight and you're going to be able to deliver it. And even if you don't, you're going to come back to the fly shop and say, Hey, this one didn't work. I need something else. And I'm going to go back. Right. I'm going to keep right. casting for four hours until I got this fish. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. When you go up there, you drive two hours to get there and you just spent the whole night or whole, you know, last week looking at flies and getting custom flies and everything. You're not going to let, you know, your will be the determining factor on if you're going to beat it or not. You know, yeah. you just keep yeah. casting. That's amazing. So how many world records do you have in Idaho? Do you, do you recall? Um, there's just, I, I had one and then I broke that one. Um, so technically it was two that were caught in Idaho. There's one that I caught in Utah. And, uh, at that point, you know, I, I've been messing around here in Wisconsin since I've been back. Mm -hmm. Um, I got my eye on one. We'll keep it on the DL for now until it does happen. But, um, but yeah, I, I hope to do that one this year. We'll see what happens. I like that confidence. We'll see when it happens. Yeah. I'm sure it's coming soon. <laughs> All right. So you're out in Idaho, you get this passion for fishing again, you finish up your schooling, walk us through your transition after that, right? You're, you're in Idaho for a little bit. You end up coming back to Wisconsin. Talk us through your thought process and, and how it's been being back in your home state again. Yeah, man, it's been, uh, it's kind of been a whirlwind, honestly. Um, so post MBA, all that kind of stuff. I had a, I didn't work at the credit union anymore. I got an opportunity to work at a, in healthcare at a home health and hospice agency. Um, in a super cool role that was, you know, fairly new and uh, had a ton of freedom. And, uh, you know, we made great things happen there. And uh, shout out Simbi, Home Health and Hospice. Um, yeah, it, it was a great ride. And honestly, unfortunate that I don't still work there now. Um, I, I really did love it. And, uh, you know, I, d I didn't make it home back to Wisconsin super often uh, when I just lived out west, you know, for the last few years. But uh, when I did, you know, I kind of kind of found out some things here uh, on the home front that, you know, really kind of were tugging at my heartstrings to get back home. And uh, I kind of felt like my business was unfinished here and really wanted to soak in the moments as long as we have them. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so it was my priority to come back home. And that kind of meant leaving anything else behind from out west. So I had to leave a really good job. Uh, to come back here and was fortunate enough that sold a house and, you know, had some money that came from that. So it, it allowed me the freedom to take care of what I needed to here and, uh, and make this my main priority. And, uh, and with that, you know, I still have to find ways to fill up my cup mm -hmm. and the fishing in Wisconsin is arguably better. There's bigger fish, uh, out West. I mean, it's a whole different ball game. You, you're targeting trout for the most part and, you know, some salmon and some really cool looking fish and record quality. Um, but it's been really fun here too, identifying some of the opportunities to, to catch big fish and uh, hone in on different species that I haven't done here in a long time. And uh, more recently, you know, obsession with musky fishing. Yeah. Yeah. Before we, before we dive into the muskies, so you came from Idaho back to Wisconsin. Uh, one thing I just want to to, to kind of get your input on is throughout my life, I have seen where maybe through my twenties, I didn't realize how important time was, right? Time was just this thing that, that happened. Then my daughter was born and I realized that, you know, she was getting older and older every year and, and time was way more valuable than I had ever realized it to be. And spending the time with, with her and doing things that you can only do in that moment when that time is there to me has been the biggest mindset shift is, is in valuing the time now and not putting things off that maybe you can't do in the future. So right. is that kind of what right. brought you home? Is there's things that you, only you can do now and, and not worrying about yeah. some of the future problems? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I kind of always had, uh, always had wanted to get back to the area eventually and uh, the, the reasons for coming back home were very time sensitive. And, you know, when you don't know how much time is left, possibly, um, everything else just kind of takes the back seat. And, you know, I have two nephews here. I got my pops here. And, uh, yeah, with that situation, I just want to make sure that I soak up as much time as I possibly have. And it, it's been awesome. I, I lived out west for, you know, almost nine, ten years. And I missed out on probably a lot of good years uh, mm -hmm. being back here and making memories with the two nephews, my dad, my brothers, 
my grandma is 93 years old. You know, you never know how much time that you have left. And um, they play such a big role in my life that, uh, that it, it honestly just kind of made me sad um, to think about them not being here. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that transition wasn't super easy coming home and leaving a lot of good things out west. Um, but it was meaningful to me. And, um, and I, I felt like it was my purpose at this time. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. And I mean, the West is always, always here for you when you want to come back and visit. So yeah. I'm glad you're able to spend time I'll with family and friends. You can't, you can't miss that time. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So you're back in Wisconsin. You spending time with friends and family. You start taking up fishing on muskies. Talk us through that current goal. I know you have some, some targets with the muskies. You've been hunting them often. Walk us through that, that process. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I first got back, you know, it, it was winter time and, uh, musky fishing ends here, December 31st, the end of the year. Um, so from that point on January 1st until May, you can't even fish for them. Wow. And so at this point, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of hands are tied. I can't even fish. And, uh, so I'm, I'm driving to Milwaukee quite a bit. There's a really good fishery off of Lake Michigan. You know, you can see huge king salmon, world-renowned brown trout. Um, that's one thing. That, that's a fish that I love to chase out west in Idaho. And it was always cool to think, man, a 30-inch brown would be an epic catch. Mm-hmm. Um, go out fishing a handful of times here and catch 31 and a half, 32 and a half, a 34, another 34. It's like, oh, wow, this is... <laughs> This is special. So uh, made a lot of trips to Milwaukee uh, to go chase those guys for, for quite a while. And then, yeah, and then it really kind of set in. That bite was done, and uh, what's next? I always kind of like to, to keep whatever on the, on the horizon and uh, look at the next big thing. So for me, that was musky fishing. I just jumped into it and started watching a ton of YouTube videos. And um, My real infatuation with musky fishing is – my dad and grandpa caught this really, really big fish and we have it mounted upstairs. No and uh, I always grew up looking at this thing. And I'm like, God, that thing's cool. And they had the newspaper clip and all this fun stuff. Yeah. And, uh, did you know it was a muskie or was it something you learned I did. On? Yeah. 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 I did. Yeah. So I, I knew it was a muskie and I knew it was really hard to catch. And that's why they got in the newspaper and, uh, and all that. And so I kind of grew up like knowing, Oh, okay. That's a really cool fish. Um, but, uh, but the real, you know, the real flame started, uh, building when I was actually still in Idaho. Um, there is some fishing opportunities for tiger muskie in the reservoirs out there. And that's one of the world records that, that I had gotten on the fly rod in Utah, um, was a tiger muskie. And so really started there. And then I came back here to visit, uh, along that same time that I kind of, you know, found out some family stuff that I wanted to, to get back for and, um, fished in a muskie tournament and, and that's where it really started. So caught a big muskie in that tournament and I couldn't stop thinking about it. So now that I'm back here, it's winter, I can't fish for them. I'm like, how am I going to catch more of these fish? And, uh, and then you just jump into it and you're YouTubing and you're researching and, you know, you're finding different bodies of water and what are they going to bite and what don't they bite. And, um, the, it, it's a fish of 10,000 casts for a reason. Mm-hmm. You can spend a lifetime of fishing and never see one, or you can do anything you possibly can to, to chase them down and throw whatever you possibly can and hook one. And it makes your whole week. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's pretty incredible. I think we, we all see you post the pictures of these muskies and like, Oh, awesome. That's another great fish, but you're catching fish all the time. Right. But in reality, this fish, I did a little bit of research. It's a rare fish. It's very hard to catch. It's got sharp teeth. You have to use certain types of bait and line and all this different stuff. So talk us through what, what is a muskie? So people understand what that is and and how is it different from your everyday fishing that you may see in the West? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Muskie is the apex predator, uh, typically just in the Midwest. I mean, Midwest, Canada, there are muskies out West, but, um, but you know, not a huge quantity of them. They don't just come in there naturally and, and thrive. Um, there are some down in Virginia, you know, North Carolina, that kind of thing. But, uh, 
in the grand scheme of it, it's not like a bass. You know, you can't go anywhere in the world and catch a bass. And uh, they're also just not as easy to catch as a bass or, you know, a rainbow trout might be. Um, they're incredibly difficult and stubborn and hard-headed. And, you know, when you do finally even see one, it's, it's an accomplishment to have it come after your lure or fly or whatever it may be. Um, it's an accomplishment. You know, you, you could feel really good about that if you saw a muskie in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that part really infatuated me because I know I'm, I'm very prepared whenever I go out fishing. I know I cast, you know, as hard as I can, as long as I can, without thinking about food, without thinking about water. I'm just obsessed in the moment of what I'm doing. And uh, turning that into catching fish has really become special. And, you know, you soak it in every moment that you get that one in the net. You know, you get to really appreciate it. And uh, and it, it's just the apex predator. It's just cool to catch. It's like going down to Florida and catching a tarpon. Um, mm-hmm. Arguably a little bit more difficult. Totally. So. Yeah. So tell us, I know right now you have this goal, right? With, with muskies. You want to catch a certain amount of muskies. And for every one you catch, you're donating money for ALS. Uh, research. Talk us through that. Yeah. 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 So, um, part of, you know, part of who I am is, is a family guy and, uh, told you a little bit about my dad, my grandpa and how, how big family is to me. And, uh, you know, my mom was the person that, you know, she's the one that had me follow my dreams and make it out to Idaho in the first place. And, uh, she was terminally ill at the time, um, that I spent time in Rochester and what I did, uh, on the field and off the field was for her. And, uh, yeah, she passed away of ALS, um, right after my second season in Rochester. And so, you know, in the back of my mind, I always knew I wanted to do something, you know, I had to, had to remember, I had to do my part somehow because she was my best friend and, uh, most important person in my life for my whole upbringing, everything, you know, to this day, she's still, you know, that's my best friend right there. Yeah. And, uh, I always wanted to do something. And, uh, you know, for me, this was, you know, a small way that I could give back and also keep me on track while I'm out there. You, you know, you can go a week, two weeks, you can go a month without seeing a muskie. And it's like, this is normal. They're just hard to catch. And uh, in the back of your mind, you just you have to have something that's pushing you forward. And so for me, it's it's it gets me out there. Um knowing that I'm fishing for something and something as intrinsically motivating as, you know, the love for my mom, um, keeps me out there, whether it's the slowest day, week, month, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I'm out there doing it for her. And, uh, and that's the cool thing. So yeah, right now, man, uh, my goal is to catch 23 for the year. And, uh, I'm a little bit slow on posting. So I, I have, I'm a little bit higher than what it shows online, but, uh, I've caught 14 so far this year. Um, fall is typically a really good time to catch some big fish. And so out there chasing quite a bit still, but, uh, 14 out of 23 currently. And, you know, a handful of people have kind of jumped on, uh, with me and I've just been in contact with them that they're following along and keeping track of the fish too. And they're going to help out too. So, um, it's been a, a cool process so far, new, but, uh, but super cool. That's amazing, man. Thanks for sharing that about your mom. And I'm sure she's out there helping you catch those fish, guiding you along the way. So that's a, that's an awesome yeah. story. How can, how can people get involved with, with your foundation? How can they support you? Yeah, honestly, just get in contact with me. It's uh it's brand new. I don't have, you know, a super good system on how it's all going to work out, but I just know at the end of the year um, is when the donation is going to happen. So um, just keeping tallies right now that uh, we're at 14 fish, uh, donate 10 bucks to every fish. And then if we hit the goal of 23, going to donate an extra hundred bucks to the ALS association and uh, just do a mass donation at the end of the year. And so right now, easiest way to get in contact is just, you know, shoot me a message on Facebook, uh, Rob McAsee or on Instagram at Rob McAsee and, uh, and just express interest in doing it. So we're just going to pile up as much money as we possibly can. And um, do a donation at the end of the year to a good cause. I love it. Have you thought about what's, what's next for you? You have this, this current target. Are there future plans or trips or other fish that you're starting to plot, uh, your next, your next wave of, of adventures for? 
Yeah, super good question, man. Uh, for me, I, I think it's been written in the stars this whole time. I think I think my life was meant to come back to muskies and stay with muskies. And uh, it's a fish that is so incredibly stubborn and so rewarding that I've just never felt that gratification on catching any other fish than when I get a muskie in the net. And so I'm going to, I'm going to ride this one out as long as I possibly can. And, uh, as far as anything, you know, coming up, um, when I made that post and kind of expressed my interest in doing this whole thing, uh, I had a, a guy that I met at muskie school. It's where you just go there and you just learn about muskies for a day. Love it. Um, yeah, he, he had, I met him there. We just bumped shoulders. We were in a class together and, uh, he hit me up on social media and just said, Hey man, I'd love for you to be a part of my team. We're doing the fly fishing world championships up North this year. And, wow. you know, I want you on there. I can tell you got a good heart and you're doing it for the right reasons. So, uh, come up and fish. So that's coming up here next month. And then, uh, there's also another musky tournament in October that I'm really looking forward to. And as far as a direction goes, I'm just going to let my heart ride this one out and, uh, and figure out a direction. Man, that's amazing. I feel, I love your story, right? There's so many people who put their passions off to the side and say, someday I'll come back to it. And you did that for a period of time, right? You were playing college football, chasing a different passion. And then fishing came right back into the forefront. And now you're doing it with so much excitement and passion that it's taken over everything in your life. And because of that exceptional focus on it, it's taken you to the point where you can actually leverage it to build relationships and you have sponsorships now and, and all these things that if you don't put that level of exceptional focus on it, you just don't get there. So props right. to you for everything you've done um, Thanks, and excited to see some of the tournaments that you'll be in. That, that's awesome. Super excited. Really looking forward to it. So one of the videos that you posted recently, uh, you catching the muskie down at the bottom of the waterfall, man, what an amazing video. I think it has 300,000 some views. When you posted that, did you know that it was going to get the reaction that it did? How did you go about setting that up? Was it just happenstance or did you plan it out? I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. All right. So let's jump into it. So uh, this is the power of social media. Um, so I was just uh, just got off the water. Me and a buddy, his name's JP. Uh, he's a really good, good buddy of mine and we go musky fishing quite a bit. Uh, we just got off the water, didn't see a dang thing. I'm sitting in his driveway and I'm scrolling through Facebook and I'm in a lot of these like musky forums and everything. And I see this guy post this ridiculously big, cool muskie in front of a waterfall. And I immediately send it to JP. And I'm like, look at this. How cool. And uh, after a quick Google search, you know, found exactly where that was. And it turns out it's it's an hour away from me. Mm -hmm. And so I say, hey, JP, like we got to buckle down. This happened yesterday. I need you to take off work tomorrow. I'm going to pick you up at 3 o'clock. And we're going to go drive to this waterfall. There's got to be fish in there. If this guy posted it yesterday, odds are they're in there right now. Let's go catch one. Wow. And so second cast, I caught that fish. JP's the cameraman, just taking a little video of it. And uh, it's classic JP cameraman. He always says, oh, bro, we got the shot. <laughs> <laughs> you sure that did. Means, that was a great shot. <laughs> that means it's done. JP's like, all right, that's enough. Put, put, put it back in, man. Yeah. And so, you know, anytime that you see a, a fish of that caliber, A, is super cool, but that backdrop is like speechless. It just kind of like brings up so many questions, actually, opposite of speechless. It, it makes you think like, what? How, how's that even real? Right. I knew it was going to get some uproar. Um, I didn't know how big it would get, but it's been cool to see, you know, how many, how many views it's getting. And um, it's just fun to see the response. So cool. Yeah, man, that's awesome to hear. You just kind of said, "Hey, look, someone posted this video. I'm gonna go do the same. I'm gonna, I'm gonna even do it better." And I think you sure yeah. did. Yeah, thanks, dude. What about other kind of um, social media interaction? Has there been any, you know, big people reach out to you? And I know you've made some connections around some fishing tournaments. Have anyone else, anyone else, that's reached out to you about, you know, just the cool things you're doing? Yeah, I've had a couple people that uh, that they have pages themselves, their business pages that they post, you know, I guess viral per se videos, um, in the outdoors industry. And, um, I've had a handful of those guys that just reached out and just wanted to be able to use the video and post it to their following that kind of thing, which is cool. Um, 
but also being fairly new to the whole, you know, musky world, it, it can be kind of hard to kind of get your name out there. Um, but it's been cool to see the response from a lot of the prominent musky companies and, you know, them showing love on it or commenting on, on my stuff now and, uh, or shooting messages, whatever it may be. It's, it's been neat to get kind of a little bit of respect from it. Um, mm -hmm. uh, because I, I know, you know, what type of an angler I am, but, uh, but you have to do a lot of selling yourself. And so I know that I'm doing some cool things and it's cool to get the respect that some of those things deserve. And, sure. uh, as far as working with companies, um, you know, I'm, I'm super selective on who I want to represent and, uh, if it aligns with, you know, my goals, my passions and what I enjoy, um, so as far as that goes, that's it's a selective group that I, I choose to work with. Um, but uh, we'll see. We'll see uh, which one's from the musky industry that that we link up with here shortly. I love it. So obviously you've followed your passion. You've been chasing fishing. What would you say to people who maybe have put their passions to the side? And uh, what would you say to them about, you know, continuing to chase their passions and keep that in the forefront of their mind? Yeah, man. At the end of the day, you live one time. And uh, when you take your last breath, that's it. You don't come back. Um, there's no point in putting it off and your dreams aren't going to chase themselves. And uh, if you know your worth, you got to go out and get it. And you're not going to get freebies, especially in the outdoors world. People love to hate and uh, not many people love to, to give props where they belong. And so got to go out and get it yourself. I love it. All right. We're going to pivot here. I've got a few rapid fire questions for you. All right. So seven questions here. Just answer them as, as quickly and as honestly as you can, and, and we'll see what you got. All right. All right. Biggest fish you've ever caught. Hmm. Nine foot nurse shark. Nine foot. Where was that? Down in uh, Miami. Wow. Incredible. Sweet, All right. Man. Next, next one. Rarest fish you've ever caught. I'd say a musky. I'd say, you know, uh, yeah, big musky. Big muskies. Um, I think the record's 70 pounds or something. Is that something you're chasing? I'd love to chase that. I'd love to beat that someday. Yeah. And I, I sure hope I get the opportunity. I was thinking about it. Musky are just always the rarest fish to me to catch because they are so stubborn and so selective. But um, an asterisk clown knife fish from Florida, they're super elusive. Not many people have heard of them. But give it a Google search, clown knife fish. They're really cool. That one's awesome. also up there. Sweet. Next, biggest fish that got away. I know we all have a fish that got away story. Yep. I had a hammer of a fish, uh, a lake trout at Bear Lake in, uh, in Idaho, technically Idaho, Utah border. I had a colossal lake trout on. And mm -hmm. uh, if anybody has been to this part of Bear Lake, there's a big rock wall. And that thing took me down the rock wall, back down the rock wall, back down it, back down it, and then broke me off. Oh, and man. at this point, there was a whole crowd of people that were standing up the, uh, on, the, on the top by the road. And there's probably 30 people just watching me pull in this fish. And it was massive, dude. Jeez. So you had yep. the spotlight on you even. Jeez. Yeah, it was sad when that thing broke. Tell you what. <laughs> All right. Strangest thing that's happened to you while out fishing. Ooh, this one's recent, actually. Um, was out there fishing in Milwaukee, uh, Milwaukee River, and I was having the worst fishing day of my life. It was so bad. I'm fly fishing like through icebergs. You know, it was it was terrible. Anything that could go wrong went wrong. And uh, at the end of the day, I finally think I have a bite and I'm reeling this thing in and I'm kind of realizing this is not a fish and I pull it up it's a glove and of any of the fingers that I could have pulled up my hook is in the middle finger of this glove <laughs> I was telling you like f off <laughs> the biggest sign I could have followed hey we got to get back <laughs> uh, was that the end of your fishing day yeah that was it <laughs> wow that's incredible <laughs> follow the signs man jeez all right. Uh, next, one place you'd love to fish but have not yet. Hmm. Lake Vermilion, Minnesota, has some of the biggest uh, muskies out there. 
Uh, also Lake St. Clair in Michigan. Um, that one is, you know, worldwide known as, you know, one of the best places to fish muskie. I haven't been to either one of those places just yet. Um, anywhere up north in Wisconsin can be really good, but man, Lake Vermilion and Lake St. Clair are, are up there on the bucket list. There it is. Yep. All right. If you could fish with any person dead or alive, who would it be? Oh man. Get my mama out on that boat. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. Last one, non-fishing related, your celebrity crush. It's not even hard. Jessica Beale. Sorry, <laughs> JT. Classic, classic. Yeah. I got to go with Gal Gadot. I'm a Wonder Woman man myself, but you know, it's all cool. Oh, yep. Not a bad selection, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Obviously, you're my first guest. So pumped to have you on. Love to hear your story. Incredible to see all the things you've gone through from Wisconsin out to Idaho, um, the things you've, you've dealt with with your family and dedicating and spending quality time with them now back in Wisconsin. Just a testament to you know, the passion and the focus on, on doing the things you love and being around the people you love when you can. So I, I love following your journey and, you know, love to continue to see you catch more muskies and donate to a good cause. Thanks, any bro. final, any final questions or, or comments or thoughts for, for our audience today? You know, I'm just thankful that you had me on here and I got the invite to even be a part of this. Um, I've listened to your podcast and I think you're on to a great thing here. And uh, I'm super, super honored to be the first guest on here. And I think that you know, you're going to do great things and you're going to bring a lot of value to um, people that can use it in this world. And I know you'll do it with a good heart and good purpose. And uh, I'm just juiced for you, man. This is just the start of it. I mean, we're less than 10 episodes. This is not episode nine. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait to see episode 900, you know? Oh, man, I appreciate so, that. So glad you could be a part your heart. of it, man. Yep. Yeah. All right. To our listeners, remember each one of us has a unique path to greatness. It's about finding your passion, chasing it, no matter where it leads. Until next time, stay on your path, stay inspired, and above all, stay great. We'll see you soon. Mm -hmm.